0: Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. Well, it's good to see you in the last week of winter, the last one officially on the calendar. Mother Nature will, will not be cooperating, though, tomorrow, All right? A little, a little snow. Yeah. Anybody enjoying that you want, you want more snow? like it? Oh, you have, well, you haven't seen that much, so you want some. I get it. Well, the title of today's sermon is Out on a Limb. How many of you are ready to go out on a limb this morning? Are you ready for that? See some hands up? Yes. I tried to use a picture that was a, like kind of shrouded in a little mystery there, a little more ambiguous intended. So if you're looking at it, going, I don't understand that. I want to start with a story. In the last half of the 19th century, there was a man by the name of John Muir, and John Muir was probably our most intrepid um, and worshipful uh, explorer uh, of the western extremities of the North American continent. I mean, whether it was the California Sierras or the glaciers in Alaska, this guy traversed everything. I mean, he was the outdoorsman. Some of you are outdoorsmen. You like to hunt. This guy lived outdoors. And uh, there's a great story about his life. Uh, the year is 1874. He is in a cabin in the Sierra Mountains with one of his good friends. This individual had built this cabin uh, in order you, know, to avoid the inclement weather, get a little respite, maybe a cup of tea, some coffee, uh, when things were really bad. So he's there with them, and they decided to go out on this, this long hike. And uh, the sky began to roil with clouds. And a storm began to roll in off the Pacific. And John Muir is with his friend. And his friend's like, hey, let's go. Let's head back to the cabin. And with that, Muir says, no, I'm going to head back out. He waits so the friend gets back to the cabin. And here is this man. There's a huge snowstorm that's coming in, right? It's December 1874. It is a blizzard. Blizzard conditions. And here is this man. He climbs over this ridge. And he looks... For the biggest Douglas fir that he could find. Now, let me tell you, and he writes this in his journal. This storm was bending junipers, pines, and firs like they were blades of grass. So here is this man as he climbs the ridge and he finds a 125-foot Douglas fir. And he says, that's the one I'm going to climb in the middle of a snowstorm. He climbs, this, he climbs this tree. He's all the way out at the top, and he wants to ride the storm out there. Do you ever see, it reminds me of, do you ever see that movie Forrest Gump? Right? Lieutenant Danny's at the top of the boat. Well, it kind of reminds me of that. Here is this lunatic. He's an eccentric character. He's at the top of the tree. I'm going to ride it out here. I'm going to hold on for life and limb. And this is what he wrote. I love this. I don't want to look at you anymore. I want the quote. You can hit it, Scott. It's not working. Um, he he writes this in his journal. Is it not working? You want me to read it? When the storm began to sound, I lost no time in pushing out into the woods to enjoy it. Thank you. No, no, no. That's not the slide. That's my next slide. Now, you're going the wrong way, Luke. Please go the other way. Thank you. All right. I'll just read it from here. For on such occasions nature always has something rare to show us and the danger to life and limb is hardly greater than one would experience crouching beneath a roof. Did you get that last part? And the danger to life and limb is hardly greater than one would experience crouching beneath a roof. Here is this lunatic what we would call a very foolish act. Here is this man climbing this tree and you, you know this iconic image And he's hanging on there for life and limb, hope, you know, just enjoying this as nature is just rushing through him and snow is falling around him and he feels the wind. He realized something that we forget sometimes. We forget that sitting in in a cabin, sitting in our homes, watching TV, being comfortable, being secure, being safe, is not the Christian life. Because draw the parallel to our Christian spirituality. Look at it. Understand this. We are called to live life. We are not. This is a rebuke against being spectators in life. We are to truly live life. And so I ask you, City on a Hill Community Church, in the beginning of this sermon, do we expose ourselves and climb the ridge and find the tallest tree and climb up there? Do we do that? We are called to climb. You are called to climb. If you were here last week, we looked at Benaiah, the guy that jumped into a pit with a lion on a snowy day. You are called to chase lions. You are called to climb trees. You are called to trust your God and believe that he can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you ask or think. Let me give you a story. Look at I mean, just look at his face. I mean, this is a young picture of this guy. I mean, look at this guy. I want to be like, he, he gets married at like, this is totally tangent, you don't you didn't need to know this, but he gets married at like 40 years old, and there were times when his wife would like shoo him away, go, go. I get it, you need to go out in nature, it was just something inside of him, he was actually good friends with Teddy Roosevelt too, and he started the Sierra Club, you know, the first grassroots, the oldest environmental organization we have in the country, and many of you don't care, but I care, and I wanted you to know that, well, if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 19. I want to talk about another gentleman that looks crazy. Another guy in scripture that looks absolutely foolish. He climbs a tree one day and many of you know the story. Or I guess you think you know the story. The story of a man named Zacchaeus. And Luke 19 verse 1, it starts there. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Wait, wait, wait. We're on the wrong... I'm sorry. There we go. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. I'm going, he didn't get to. Where's the Jericho part? Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. He's vertically challenged. So he ran ahead and climbed up onto a sycamore tree to see him, For he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of any of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation... I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Ah, the story of this. How many of you remember the song of Zacchaeus? you remember that song in Sunday school? All right? well, I'll give you, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. No, Yes, yes, yes. Next. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he said, Zacchaeus, you come down. For I'm going to your house today. For I'm going to your house today. Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember singing that song in the next to the old church building. Remember the old church building down the road? Not that building. There was one across the street. We were in the basement. The building should have been condemned. And we were there. I, I'm telling you, I, I have this image. I remember it. We were in the basement singing this song. This mold and just this dungy. I'm like, listen, maybe if you want to talk about the Apostle Paul stuck in a prison or something, this is apropos. But I don't really get this story of this little vertically challenged man. Why are we singing the song about him? You with me? Some of you didn't go to Sunday school. All right, that's fine. So here is this man, and he is not just a tax collector in the Greek. This, it means he's the chief tax collector of the whole region. And many of you know you know some of the story. I mean, they are the most despised people in society. It would be like in our day, a drug lord, somebody that was in a drug cartel, maybe a mafia hitman. Sorry, Pastor Joe, right? <laughs> or uh, maybe it's akin to this. I was thinking about it. I said, you know what? It's kind of like during World War II with the Holocaust, And the Jews that would inform on their fellow Jews to the Nazis. This man was reviled. This man was absolutely despised by all of the Jewish people. And this is what he would do. The Romans who were in charge and ruled, they would have a tax. And say somebody owed $1,000, our money. What he would do is, he would go up to that individual and say, you owe $1,500. So he would take the $500. And he would pocket that money. Now, I don't know. And we know that he was, he's a short man, right? But understand, think about his past. Use your imagination. I say it all the time. Please use your imagination when you read these stories. What was life like for little Zacchaeus when he was younger? I have to imagine he was never picked. He was the last kid maybe picked to play in games. Picked on, mocked, ridiculed. How good it probably felt when he got older. And he got to go up to people and say, you owe this much money, and you owe this much money. And he was powerful, and he went to Nordstrom's and Barney's, and he had the nicest robes that money could buy at that time. Like, think of, like, a really nice three-piece suit. Well, they wore robes, right? This man looked the part. Although, you know what? I think, again, this is just my image. I think of, like, a Danny DeVito, maybe a Woody Allen. I think more Danny DeVito. I think this guy's kind of a character, right? This Zacchaeus. And he goes around, and he's a hustler, and he's a shaker, and he, he's shaking people down for money, and he's extorting people, and he's, you don't want to mess with me, you know. And that's the kind of guy I really see him to be. So he's not somebody that is, that is really well-liked. And I have to say to us in this sermon, you know, what is God really looking for in us? I said to you earlier, God is looking for tree climbers. God is looking, though, for people that will do anything to get to Jesus, Anything to get to Jesus. He's looking for tax collectors that will climb climb trees. He's looking for prostitutes who will crash parties just to get to Jesus. He's looking for people that will push through crowds like the woman with the issue of blood as she scratches, scratches and she crawls just to get to the hem of his garment. That's what Jesus is looking for. He's looking for people that will step out of boats and try to walk on water. He's looking for people that will crash through parties, people that will rip off roofs just to get to Jesus, just to see him. And it's amazing how foolish These people can look and we see these stories and we see people chasing stars like the wise men and we see people climbing trees and we see people going into pits with lions. How foolish do they look? Don't tell me David didn't look a little foolish as he goes into a valley to fight a great giant by the name of Goliath. Don't tell me Beniah didn't look foolish as he goes into a pit to fight the lion. Don't tell me Sarah didn't look foolish when she goes to a maternity ward in her 90s to buy clothes. Bam, can I help you? Are you looking for clothes for your granddaughter? No, I'm looking for clothes for me. Kind of strange, right? Don't tell me she didn't look or feel weird. Don't tell me the wise men didn't feel a little foolish when Jewish border agents were asking why they were coming into the region. Don't tell me that a professional fisherman named Peter didn't look foolish as he stepped out of the boat. And don't you tell me that there wasn't one who came 2,000 years ago who says, I'm going to go on a cross and die. Don't tell me he didn't look a little foolish, half naked, sitting there on that cross. You know what the Bible says? You know what the Apostle Paul says? I love it. 1 Corinthians one twenty seven. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to, sh- to, put to shame the things which are mighty. You know what I want to say to that guy, Peter Singer? That staunch atheist... Who, who is more intelligent than probably any of us in this room, but he doesn't understand. He thinks it's, I can be good enough. I can make, I don't believe in God, but it's about doing good things. And you know what? We can be beneficent. We can do amazing things in this world, but without Jesus Christ, without understanding what he came to do and living in him and through him, we have nothing. It's devoid of any value. And don't you love that? We live in a world, as you leave this place today, You are going to go out into a world that says you went to church on a Sunday morning. You went to a Lenten meeting on Wednesday night. You were hanging out with other people and there are candles lit and you sang songs and people actually shared from their hearts. People are going to say that's absolutely foolish. It's rubbish. Oh, how God loves to confound the wise. You are here in the right place. You are on the right track. This is bedrock truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't let the evil one whisper into your ear that you're foolish. Is this real? Is this Christianity thing real? That's what he wants you to believe. He wants to whisper lies into your ear. He wants you to believe those things. And I love that passage because it just rings true. And you look at this man, and here is this man. I love this. That's Zacchaeus. And how did he get up the tree again? I don't know. He's a small guy. Maybe he was wealthy. He's affluent. Maybe he has bodyguards. Really? Maybe the bodyguards are like, hey, come on, little Zach. Like they throw him up in the tree. And there he is, right? You see this little body and he's like kind of climbing up the tree and he's there, right? And he's sitting there and he gets a different view of who Jesus is, a different view than everybody else that is standing there in the bottom. And I love that he's able to look foolish in front of Jesus and Jesus returns the favor. Would you love that? That's one of my favorite parts of the story. He's lo- he's willing to look foolish. Now again, we live in a very informal culture. Like I have jeans on today. I've never preached in jeans. I said I'm preaching in jeans today. I'm going to be informal. I've 13 years preach. I never preach in jeans. Anyone wonder like why is he in jeans today? You didn't. I jeez, I thought you would notice. All oh, right, you don't even notice. We live in a ve- you did. We live in a very informal culture, right? This was a very formal culture. To, I mean, it was all about your dignity and your pr- to put aside your pride, decorum, and to, to say, "I don't really care what people think of me." I'm in my nice robe, but I'm going to go climb up that tree. I don't really care. That was an astonishing feat by this man. It's almost like, I have to, the only thing I can think of, like tomorrow is a St. Patrick's Day parade, right? Can you imagine uh, Cuomo, like, you know, there's no trees maybe where the parade's going to be, but he's up on like some like street pole or something. He's like hanging out. He's like waving to the crowd. You'd be like, what the heck's wrong with him? He's crazy. People that are watching him get up there are like, that's what children do. Adults don't do that. Especially somebody that is the chief tax collector. He has a reputation to uphold. How is he going to look in front of everybody? Everybody's going to think he's crazy and he doesn't care. And Jesus says, you know what? Since you're willing to look foolish, I'm coming to your house today. That's right, Pharisees. That's right, everybody else teaches of the law. I'm going to his house. That's who the real Jesus is. Why do we twist him? Why do we, we, we try to make him fit into these little boxes? You could never fit Jesus into his box, into a box. Jesus said, you know what? I came to destroy religion. He said, I want to have that relationship with you. And it doesn't look the way the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the other teachers of the law say that it's supposed to look. You see, but for us, we're, we're paralyzed by this fear of foolishness. How many of you can relate to this? You know, you want to share your faith with somebody, but you, ah, you know what? I'm going to look really silly right now if I open my mouth. You know, I can't pray for a miracle. How foolish it's going to look if it actually doesn't happen. Oh my gosh, I can't pray for that. What are people going to think of me? My coworkers. What are they going to say? I can't go for that dream job. Are you kidding me? I, I, I have this job right here, and I'm safe and I'm secure, and I have my bills met. But I can't go for that job. I can't go for counseling. Are you kidding me what people will think of me? Wow. I don't want to look foolish. How about you kids? Some young people in here? I can't raise my hand in a class. I'm going to look foolish. I can't ask that person out on a date. I'm going to look foolish. Really? Think about all the things that we're afraid of. Oh, my gosh. I wonder what other people are going to think of me. I'm with you. I'm not preaching. I'm with you. I feel the same way. And Zacchaeus pays an enormous price because he's willing to give up his pride and his dignity just to see Jesus. And you have to get beyond the crowd. Again, I'm saying it again. You have to get beyond the crowd. The people out there. Now, you notice nobody. He could have gotten in front. I hope you see this. Right? Every scholar, every commentator, he could have gotten in front because he was so small and gotten a good look at Jesus. Every single person that is there is shooing him away. Get back! Dreg of society. Will you get back? No one wants to see you. Will you get over here? Do you think this itinerant carpenter is coming to talk to you? He doesn't want to see you. It's exactly what Jesus wants to see the one that is marginalized, the one that is an outcast. You know, this would be a great EHS chapter. I mean, this guy's life. Think about, all the, think about all the pain from his childhood. We'll talk about that, Zacchaeus, one day. Yeah, yeah, I'm talking like to Zacchaeus, like Zacchaeus can actually hear me, and you're like looking at me like, that was normal what I just said. That wasn't saying what I just said. All right, I woke you up at least, some of you. And the crowd, you know, the crowd isn't tweeting, hashtag great Zacchaeus, he, he found Jesus. They don't want him to touch Jesus. They don't want him to get near Jesus. <laughs> and I love this in the text. Let me show you this. This is very interesting when, well, I'll just use the words. I'm not going to read over the whole passage to you again, but there are certain words in there like guest, stay, and welcome. And one commentator said they all mean room and board. What do I mean by that? That Jesus wasn't just coming to stay for an hour. He wasn't coming to stay for two hours. He was coming to sleep over. He was bringing his toothbrush. He's bringing his clothes. And he's going to hang out there for a while. It's important to see that. Because everybody that was there is looking at this going, and everybody understood this. We don't understand this 21st century culture. But trust me, this is the stuff I live for when I teach. Everybody there realized and went, oh, my gosh, he's not just going to visit. He's going to stay over with him. Can you believe that? And people started whispering even more than they had that this carpenter is willing to do that. And I want you to notice something. Do you notice like the sinner's prayer we have? Tell somebody, "Hey, say the prayer, brother. Say the prayer, sister. Do you notice that Zacchaeus doesn't say a prayer? Do you notice that? Jesus asks him into his life. before before Zacchaeus has him come to his house. Do you get that? Are you seeing that? Zacchaeus doesn't say, "Um, Lord, I repent of all the things that I did. Jesus, who says, I may have this guy who may repent for all the things that he did, I am going to call myself into his life. I want to be a part of his life. I want to invade his life. That's how Jesus Christ works in people's lives. That's another reason why I love him. He didn't wait for him to repent. He said, I'm going after this guy. How about you and your world? Who are the people that seem so far from God? You know what? Those are the people that are probably the closest. Those are the people that Jesus is waiting for an invasion in their lives. But do we believe that? Do we trust? Oh, we don't want to look foolish. And I love the part where he says, look, Lord. Where is it? Right here. You see in verse eight, look, Lord. You know what that's like? It's like, look, dad. Look, dad, look what I did. Look what I'm willing to do. I'm willing to give back everything that I've taken. 50% of my possessions. You know, take take whatever, Lord. 40, 50% of everything. Come on, Lord. just I don't care. Just take it. I just want to be with you. You know what? He realized, Zacchaeus realized he was loved before he even repented. He realized that. That's the gospel. You have to realize how much you are loved. It's not about your actions. It wasn't Zacchaeus. You need to do X, Y, and Z. And then I can love you. And then I can come to your house. He loves you unconditionally. And the evil one wants you to believe everything that you've done wrong. You have to get your life in a perfect working order. No, we need to eradicate those lies. That is not the truth. Jesus wants to sup with you. He wants to come over your house today and every day. He wants to spend his life. He wants to invade your life with his power and his presence and his grace. And he doesn't care what you've done, he doesn't care where you've been. He says, I know where you're going. He wants to take you on a journey, a wild journey. And he gives back, as I said, four times the amount anyone he has cheated. By law, get this, he's only obligated to pay what he took plus 20%. He goes beyond. I could go, on a lo- I could go off on a, re- a, a, a long tangent here on tithing. I won't. Um, there is actually at the IRS, it's tax season. How many of you have filed your taxes? Wow. <laughs> All right. There is actually what is known, the IRS has a special fund called a cheater's account. Isn't that wild? People that are, that are gripped with guilt because they've cheated on their taxes. Well, they can send money in anonymously. And this is, this is reportedly a true story. They, supposedly, they received one letter that reads this. I have cheated on my taxes for years, and I feel so guilty I can't sleep at night. In clothes, please, find a money order for ten thousand dollars. P.S. If I still can't sleep, I'll send the rest of what I owe. <laughs> Isn't that good? Here is a man that goes. I'll just say this. I'll, I'll cut it to the to the chase. And here's a man that goes beyond. You know, a lot of invariably, I get asked a lot as a pastor. Pastor, you don't. You know, the Old Testament. There, it's clearly stated. There are scriptures. Talking about tithing and giving a tenth. But they're not so in the, in the New Testament. We're New Testament believers. Do we really still have to give? And I would say, you point to a story like this and other passages where people went well beyond the 10%. And let me ask you about Jesus. What we have as New Testament believers, did Jesus say, hey, I'm going to tithe my life. I'm going to give 10% of my life. No, no, he was all in. You said all in before. He was all in. He gave his whole life. Think about how much more grace, more revelation, how much more truth we have been given. No, no, I'm sorry, friends. 10% is the floor. It's about a spirit of generosity. It's about what's in our hearts. I'm not looking for your money. I'm just telling you what, when you die one day, that again, you will not regret what you give into the kingdom of God. He was a high school principal. I'm a high school teacher. We'll live, Okay. I'm not and, I, and every pastor can't say that, but I enjoy saying that here as one of your pastors to understand, though, what's ahead for you in your future and my future. And getting back to this, you know what I love Jesus, how he's participating in the, the family meal the, the evening family meal was the most important part of the day. So when he says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming home with you, I'm going to your house, obviously, did they have electric back then? No, candles, torches, whatever, that they would use. The evening meal was a long process. That was it. After the evening meal, you went to bed, but it was a long process. To invite somebody in is to invite somebody into every single aspect of the... You didn't just invite anybody in. So when Jesus is there and he's having dinner with him in this long process and they're sharing their lives together, what does that mean for us as Christians? It means Jesus is saying he wants to get in every single nook and cranny of your life. He doesn't want part of you. He doesn't want a piece of you. He doesn't want to just deal with the anger issue. He doesn't want to just deal with issues from your past. He wants to deal with you, all of you. And the, you know what? I, you, you may say, you know what? but I haven't given all, everything I have to Jesus. He hasn't taken over every compartment, every area of my life. Join the club. Join the club. Under construction. For the rest of our lives, there are areas. There are rooms. There are hall closets where we hide stuff and we stuff things. And we keep them. To, there are areas in all of our lives that need to be addressed by one Jesus. But he has not lost any of his power. And he's still able to. To take care of that. And and, uh, the pastors were saying. Pastor Joe said it before. It's more than just Sundays. When he's coming over. He doesn't just want a piece. We don't just want a piece of you here on Sunday. We want your whole life. Because he wants your whole life. That's why Wednesday is so important. You're, You're in touch with the body. The Legos. It's everyone comes together. Each person has something to offer the body. You can't do it on your own. So when we come together. Everybody is edified. It's the gospel. Look what it says in Revelation 3.20. Just another passage here. Behold, Jesus, I I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. He wants everything. He wants your vocation, your family life, everything that you experience in this world, your money, everything. You name it, he wants it. There's not one piece of your life that he doesn't want. And get back to the story, though, right? How about Zacchaeus? How about for the rest of his life? Did you ever think what the rest of his life was like? Do you think he went back to that sycamore tree one day? This is what I imagine. I imagine him going back with like a knife and he's like, Zach was here. Like whatever the date was. I can imagine bringing his kids and even his grandkids one day. And he's telling his grandkids, this is where I met Jesus. That's the tree that I climbed. This is where it all happened, Kids. This is where I met the Savior. This is where I met the one that changed my life. Well, guess what? I did a little digging. And you know, there's nothing else in the actual biblical text, in the biblical canon, that talks about Zacchaeus. But we do find some information. There was a, a bishop from Alexandria. His name is Clement. And in a sermon, he mentions Zacchaeus, and he says that he actually went on to become a bishop of Caesarea, appointed by Peter Himself. Oh, my gosh, just amazing. He went from a thief to a pastor. A thief to a pastor. He had to give up his old lifestyle, had to give up all those places that he went, a job, all the money, had to kind of just let it go. But here's a man I have to imagine. He became the pastor of pastors. I have to imagine this man that was short in stature was big in heart. And he believed in a great big God. And I believe that he was uncivilized. And he became undomesticated. And he said, I'll do anything to get other people to Jesus. And I want other people to climb trees. I want other people to see who this Jesus is. City on a hill, community church. Do you know who I'm talking about? This Jesus? Not this religious Jesus. The real Jesus that wants to invade your life. And you say, he's already invaded my life. No, not even close. He wants more of you so who is, what is God calling you to chase? What tree is he calling you to climb? Maybe it's time for you to apply for that dream job. Is it time for you to admit that addiction? Reconcile that relationship? Take the exam? Stop attending church and start serving? Maybe it's time to take a night class. Start a business. Write a manuscript. I don't know what it is for you. But maybe it's time to do something. And you say, I'm going to look really foolish if I do it. Do it. Now, let me speak from my heart for the last couple of minutes. Just stay with me. I saw a documentary uh, last year. The name of the documentary was The Elephant in the Living Room. Anybody see this? Uh, Fascinating. Meg and I, I know it's kind of pathetic. I'll sit there and just watch previews for documentaries. I don't want regular movies. I want to learn. If I'm not going to read, I want to learn, right? So we'll just sit there and watch them. And we came across this one. It was fascinating. This subculture, this American subculture where people take dangerous animals and they try to domesticate them. They try to make them their pets. Now, this one gentleman, this picture, I found this on, on Google. This one gentleman who's rather mentally unstable, uh, the main part of the story is about how he took two lions and he had cages for them. He lived in this man, I don't even know if he's alive still, from Ohio, and how he tried to domesticate these lions and let them live there. And Megan and I literally we were brought to tears by the end of the documentary because here are these two lions that are meant to roam the prairie, that are meant to be out in the wild. Do you, ever go, and you think about, do you ever go to a zoo? You didn't see this, but do you ever go to a zoo and you see whether it's you know apes or pandas, gorillas, whatever it is, monkeys, and you see them behind the glass and you say, this isn't how life's supposed to be for them. And as I watched this documentary and I looked at these lions, I said, is that what we do in the church? Is that what we do in the church? Do we domesticate people? Do we say, oh, you gotta come be very civilized? You have to dress a certain way. You have to act a certain way. You have to talk a certain way. I've coined a term. I call it caged Christians. It's a term I came up with as I was thinking about this. Is that what we've developed? Or caged Christianity? Is that what it's like? We, we come to churches and people come watch us and they're outside and look at them in there. They're dressed nice and they're doing the thing and they're singing their songs. Is that what this is? Is that what this is? A human zoo? Is that really what this is? And people can come watch us? No. Our faith is supposed to be untamed. We are supposed to be uncivilized barbarians for the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ, when he started out, right, when he started out his ministry, he took 12 people and he said, I'm going to take the ones that are undomesticated and uncultured and I'm going to unleash you into society, unleash you. And he says here in Matthew 10, 16, behold, I send you out this first inaugural mission. I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. How would you like to go? Would you I'd go to a zoo every day if they were going to take sheep and put them in in a wolf exhibit. Right. You would probably want to go there. I would. Maybe that's sick. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. This is what he's sending them out into friends. This is the world that he's sending them out into. Do you know when you leave this place? Come on. When you leave this place, you're being released into the wild. Into the wild where it says, welcome to the mission field. You are entering the wild. You are entering a place that's absolutely crazy. And you are supposed to be unleashed and undomesticated. And you are supposed to trust God wildly. And say, so, you know what, God, I believe you. You can still do miracles. You can still change people's lives. You can still change marriages. Wayward kids can still come home. You can break addictions. You can break bondage. got to believe it. Erwin McManus says this in a wonderful book, The Unstoppable Force. I love this. The center of God's will is not a safe place, but the most dangerous place in the world. To live outside of God's will puts us in danger. To live in his will makes us dangerous. Hmm. Think on that for a second. And I know this is scary because there's uncertainty. As we talked about last week, right, with the story of Beniah. Did Beniah wake up one morning and he sat there at the table with Mrs. Beniah and they have a conversation? And she, hey, what are you gonna do today? He's like, I'm gonna go chase lions. I don't think he sat there over his his Wheaties talking about how he was going to go chase lions. It just kind of happened. It was uncertain. He didn't know what was going to happen at the end of the story. Zacchaeus jumps, climbs a tree. He doesn't know what's going to happen. There's some uncertainty there. You have to be willing to take risks and trust. Can I give you another illustration from the animal kingdom? I promise I'm almost done. Well, in the animal kingdom, when you get groups of animals, and you know some of these, a group of bees, what are they called? No, some of you are saying hives. It really puts you to sleep. Swarm. How about ants? Come on, colonies. Yes, lions. A pride. Buzzards. A committee. How about that? Buzzards. A group of buzzards are called a committee. How about cattle? Herds. How about birds? Flocks. But this is my favorite one. Ready for this? The rhino. Okay, the rhino. Did you know that a group of rhinos, you know what they call a group of rhinos? a crash. That's what they're called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Listen, listen to this. Listen, this is fascinating about rhinos. They can run 30 miles an hour top speed. Ooh, It's pretty fast considering how heavy they are, right? A squirrel runs 26 miles an hour faster top speed than a little squirrel that you see in your yard. Very fast. But the rhino has terrible eyesight awful eyesight they can't see you know how far they can see in front of them 30 feet and they're traveling right god in his infinite wisdom gave them a horn right (laughs) 31 feet really 31 feet i'm laughing as i'm reading 31 feet they don't know what's coming but they're traveling at 30 miles an hour they're not slowing down because they know they have the horn they know how big they are and when they're all traveling together it becomes a crash To what we're supposed to look like as we leave this place there's a lot of uncertainty i don't know where you're going i don't know exactly where you are but i know we as the body of christ are called together to leave this place out into the wild and become a crash we're traveling at 30 miles an hour we don't know what's at 31 feet we don't know everything but we know that we have a god that we can absolutely trust I'm asking you today, how many of you are willing to look for the trees that you can climb? How many of you are willing to look for those situations where you may look foolish and are going to trust him? How many of you are willing to run into pits on snowy days, not sunny days with cats, snowy days with lions? How many of you are actually willing to do that? Music team, you can work your way up. That's what the challenge is these past two weeks. You know what these are the last two weeks for me? These are just like locker room speeches. They're reminders. That's what I do best. These, I feel like these are the best, the best sermons I can give because that's what I love. I, lo- I just want to pour out what's inside. And I have that passion, as do the other pastors here. What will it, what's going to get in your way? Overcome any obstacle, any adversity that's going to stop you from seeing who Jesus really is. I want to climb trees, I want to get into pits with lions. And it looks different for all of us, but we have to trust the one who went into the ultimate pit. The one who said, I will give it all. The one who went to Golgotha 2,000 years ago, and he didn't have to, and he could have called down legions of angels, and how he was mocked, and how he was scorned. And he said, I'll go to the cross for you, and for you, and for you, and for you, for all of us in here. Yeah, there may be some uncertainty following him, but I would have it north way. I am so much closer to God, but I don't know where I'm going. And I'm running as fast as I can like that rhino. I love him so much. I really do. And I know you do. Trust he knows what he's doing. Lord, Lord, I thank you as we come to this table. I thank you for your sacrificial love. Lord, every week we come here. Every week we end talking about what you did at Calvary. Lord, make us uncivilized. Make us undomesticated. Help us to believe that you really can use us. Lord, I don't care what the world thinks if we look foolish. We just want to trust you. Use us mightily, Lord, in this hour. Lord, it's so easy to get depressed as we look around and we see people that seemingly want nothing to do with you. Lord, enliven hearts. Make the blind see who you really are. And let everyone in this place be like that rhino as they run out. May they see that they're actually in the jungle. May they see in their own lives how they've become domesticated how they've settled and how you are challenging them to look foolish. Amen. Hushers. Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.